You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. What's up, everyone? Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host, Ajit, and today I have with me Mr. Anirudh Takli. Anirudh has been a good friend to me, uh, and uh, of course, we're going to talk about very, very interesting topic, but let me first get a quick introduction about Anirudh. Uh, he's an engineering professional. Uh, he's been very actively working into product development and manufacturing industries. He's got a vast experience of 28 years, uh, wherein he's been leading uh, into digital transformation across the industries. He's been very focused on consulting industry market development, uh, you know, strategy, portfolio development, and pre-sales. He has worked with uh, you know global uh, organizations, and uh, today. I'm going to talk with him about Industry 4.0. What does really Industry 4.0 means? It's a very interesting topic. It's a little different from what we usually try and cover about typical sales and marketing. But I guarantee you that we are going to come back to about sales and marketing. And I'm sure there's a lot insights to te- you know get over from this today's podcast. So let's let's get started by welcoming Anirudh to the show. Hey, Anirudh, welcome to the show. How are you been doing today? Hi, Ajit. Thanks for hosting me. It's a pleasure. Always, always. And I think we have a very, very interesting topic. We've been discussing about it for a very, very long time. Uh, finally, we have this and we are recording it this today. So fantastic. Good to have you on this show. Glad to be here. Well, so uh, I know we have a common connection uh, we belong to somebody, some part of India, which is Pune, and uh, it's always feels great to be, a, you know, talking to somebody who has been a good person and who has been to this part of the world. But before jumping over there, let's start with something. How is your journey so far, Anirudh? Uh, thanks, Ajit. Uh, the journey has been very rewarding and fruitful. I would have never imagined uh, two and a half decades ago when I started off as an engineering graduate uh, in India. Uh, when I began my journey into uh, this whole area of uh, product development and manufacturing, uh, where it would take me not only from uh, technical skill sets, but around the globe into various different industries. And I actually have seen the entire transformation happening with various organizations across uh, different verticals in terms of the entire product development, manufacturing, digital supply chains, uh, consumer-driven markets, and how that has completely transformed um, uh, economies, uh, people, societies, and how that's impacting in a very accelerated fashion as we move forward. So it's been uh, pretty fruitful, very rich, uh, very humbling, uh, a lot to learn, uh, still a lot more to go uh, every day. Uh, so it's been a wonderful experience. <laughs> Fantastic, Anirudh. I think that's good to know and good to hear from you. Well, uh, 
to set the context of today's discussion, Anirudh, I think um, we are increasingly into a data-driven future. You know, the skill gaps across all industries are poised to grow in the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, of course, there's a rapid advancement into artificial intelligence, robotics, and, uh, you know, the other emerging technologies are happening. And I think they're happening at even very shorter cycles. Uh, and of course, there's changing the very nature of the jobs that need to be done uh, and the skills needed to them. Uh, and I think it is happening very faster than ever before. So let me understand from you, what is Industry 4.0 according to you? Great question, Ajit. So, you know, Industry 4.0 is nothing but a term used to um, define the latest um, evolution in the industrial revolution. So we started with the steam and water powering uh, factories, then we went on to electrification and mass production for assembly lines. Then we had computers come in. And now we are in the fourth revolution, which is essentially a complete uh, uh, transformation of the entire process of ideation through delivery of a product or service uh, to the consumer at, at the end. And you rightly said this, this transformation or evolution um, ha has not just begun, but it began almost, I would say, close to in some way, shape or form almost a decade ago. Uh, but it has accelerated over a period of time. And the pandemic has actually uh, hastened some aspects of it. Um, uh, which, which are good and bad, good in the sense that it has helped us uh, compete uh, fairer, but it also societally helped us um, uh, assist us in this pandemic response that's, that's gone on. So from a skill, a very important uh, point where most people forget that you brought up very rightfully so, um, skills is a big deal. So if you think of all the discussions that countries had on economy and job losses and, and the whole um, shifting of manufacturing to China or low-cost locations. I remember being in the U U.S. in the 90s when Bill Clinton was a president and signing of the NAFTA agreement and uh, jobs and, uh, and it was shifting down to Mexico and then it moved from Mexico to China and this whole uh, evolution of markets, factories, uh, middle-class jobs, skilled jobs in manufacturing um, started moving offshore and companies were very profitable, stock market was high. But what did that do to societies in terms of the required skills, for, which are very critical and cannot be um, come up overnight? So that's that's a big vacuum that's been left. And if you notice all the trend of, uh, you know, offshoring, onshoring, moving things back, uh, that whole discussion has been accentuated by the disruption in supply chain of the pandemic where long supply chains have resulted in a lot of issues which have never were highlighted before. So all that skill that's now required is a very different kind. So th those jobs that went are not ever going to come back because those are right. skill manufacturing jobs. But these jobs of Industry 4.0 are very high-skilled jobs, and those jobs require a lot of skill. So how do I retrain somebody in, in the 30s and 40s who has lost his job to get into this um, artificial intelligence, data, robotic process automation, uh, 3D printing, uh, design for manufacturing, all of those new concepts. How do I take that and how do I take the young people who are coming out of colleges to make them market savvy, enabled to be actually hired on, um, you know, into the industry very quickly. And this is putting up challenges to governments and societies, which is also reflected in the political decisions people are making. Because if I'm a graduate and I don't get a job, and there's a, there's a huge young population in the Asia Pacific, there's an aging population in the West, both require jobs, good jobs, good paying jobs. And when that happens, there's a lot of pressure on society. So how do governments respond to this, where the jobs 
are changing completely in the nature and how do I train and reskill? So it's a very important element of industry 4.0 uh, to be looked at. No, this is this is super fantastic because I completely understand. And I think India was one of the beneficiaries of this particular activity. Do you really feel that way? Uh, yeah, so, so, so I think it's a, it's a valid point you make. Is if, you, if you think about it this way, uh, if, if countries like India or any other country uh, who may not have the scale of a China would want to compete competitively in the marketplace, what they will need to do is what I call leapfrogging uh, the, the, the other countries by adopting these skills, leveraging these new technologies, which has essentially leveled the playing field between a large organization and a small startup. I can 3D print parts. I can 3D print uh, uh, a mass, uh, at a much faster, efficient, cheaper rate than um, at, instead of setting up a massive factory, which requires a lot of capex. So the barriers of entry have gone down. Products have changed. Materials have changed. It's more about how you take care of uh, the innovation uh, that can then level the playing field. So if India or any other country would like to do that, they need to leapfrog, skill their workforce, adopt these new technologies to, to be able to compete very effectively and efficiently in the global marketplace. Very well said, Anirudh. And I think thank you so much for that insight. So uh, if I've understood it rightly, so it definitely all started with the origins in manufacturing, no doubts about it. And I think now the shift has been seen towards digitization, as you rightly mentioned too. So what are your thoughts on how it is implied to other industry verticals now beyond beyond manufacturing? Great point. So, um, so in, in the industry 4.0 or, or digital transformation, there's a concept called a digital twin. Um, now to elaborate that a little further, so how do I make a virtual twin of the actual factory or the actual product? And how do I reduce my prototyping uh, cost and time down to be able to get to market faster. So the ability for me with today's technology to take care and create an entire virtual plane, a virtual car, a virtual uh, packaging, a virtual laptop, and actually test it, simulate it in real life conditions to ensure the design is effective, safe, and then to be able to mimic the entire manufacturing process in the virtual world, to tweak all the tweaks I need to do in the virtual world before I even actually put in any money into the physical production. That's called a digital twin of product process, right? And if, when you do that, there's a lot of cost savings. There's a lot of time savings. Quality goes up and you, you, you have the ability then to 3D print, which gets into a lot of different areas. Now, how do I take the same concept uh, of industry 4.0 or digital transformation or digitization into a, all the industries are going through what I, you know, what I call consumerization or personalization? So in the old days, if you went to uh, Dell.com, you could order your own laptop based on your configurations that you wanted. But today, even a shoe, even a Nike, uh, I want a shoe the way I want it, the color I wanted, the way I, uh, you know, the combination I wanted, a car, uh, even, even things like packaging are attracting consumers. There are actually virtual twins of shops lighting in the retail market that you can actually see how the products actually uh, show up on the shelves. There are stores in California that are completely not manned, where people can walk in, pay, and walk out. Uh, there are factories in Germany that are completely automated, run by robots, uh, looking at data in, data out, looking at analysis of the data, tweaking the process, and running it. So these concepts have gone into pharma. If you think of the DNA uh, and the whole uh, project around that, how do I make sure that I create a medicine that's very personal to Anirudh? 
versus a mass medicine that's going for millions of people. So there's, there's personalizing there. Medical uh, services, there's a very personal aspect to medical services. Same thing with electronics, consumer electronics, um, uh, process industries, um, hospitality industry, banking. I mean, you can stretch this and you can see that evolution across the board into all these industries in different ways, shapes, or form. But that, that's how essentially uh, it's kind of impacting all the industries across the world. Awesome. Awesome. And I think uh, just to reiterate your point, I think it's about, uh, you know, emerging and disruptive technologies, as you rightly said, you know, and I think th- these are getting incorporated into this real world operational models today, and they've been generating a great value to an extent. Okay. Uh, so the next question, you spoke about consumerization. I think I definitely want to touch upon it. So uh, what about so how would you relate Industry 4.0 or what about Industry 4.0 and consumerization? So Industry 4.0 is, in my view, the only way, if you think of our factory setups or, or engineering product development setups of the old days, when you used to manufacture millions of cars, billions of planes, uh, laptops, uh, TVs, uh, VCRs, or mass production, that was a juggernaut. So you created a product and you just mass produced. Now, from there, if I have to now start doing uh, variants of, let's say, a black color of uh, 100,000, maybe a blue color of 50,000, how do I make this process, which has been established for mass production, to suddenly be able to be flexible, nimble, um, and be able to leverage the same capex that I've done in the factory? I cannot put a a factory for 100,000, another factory for 50,000. So how do I leverage those and be able to be flexible, nimble, and yet keep the same quality, uh, faster time to market, and be able to deliver it to my consumer? That's that's asking for it. More and more consumers are asking for these kind of things. So therefore, that challenge is where Industry 4.0, the digital twin concept, the evolution of 3D printing, um, uh, manufacturing, uh, all these things coming into electronic, and now, if you think of another aspect that uh, I kind of uh, glossed over is what, what I call is the uh, concept of mechatronics or think about your car today. Or think about any of the devices that you use. In the old days, it was mostly mechanical. Uh, now it has a lot of elements of electrical, electronics, software. So it, it's a smart product. Now that, um, if you think of physics in the engineering world, you have electronics, electrical, software, mechanical, all coming together to define the product and to make it work and behave like it does. So when you go take your car to a dealership today, he plugs it into a computer. The computer goes into the CPU of the car. He looks it up, understand what needs to get done and done. So this itself is a challenge from product development. How do I make these things work together? How do I fit it? Ensure that it's safe. It adheres to quality, safety standards, compliance standards and then be able to deliver it and to be able to service it in the aftermarket, right? Second aspect of this is what I call the aftermarket uh, bump. So the another phenomenal change that's happening is old days, people made a product, put a price to it, sold it in the marketplace. What's now happening is people are realizing, uh, for instance, if I have earth-moving equipment, instead of selling it, I can actually put a uptime contract to it. So I will give it to you and I'll say, I will guarantee 90% uptime. But I'm not selling the product to you. I'll get it back at the end of the contract, right? But then how do I ensure that it's not misused where the design criteria are kind of violated and therefore it breaks down. And if it does break down as OEM, 
It's my responsibility to ensure that your work doesn't get uh, stopped. So then there are sensors that come in that pick up all this kind of data that you monitor to ensure that the violation is happening or not. If it does not, then it is actually tested, prototyped to ensure that the you know, so I'm making more money of the same asset that one time I should sell it to you and forget about it. Now the same asset is actually generating more revenue for me. Second thing, if you notice, even in the market automotive, um, you, you, they are doing after service for all brands. They're not saying only for my product or my vehicles, I can do it for other brands. If you think of fleets, truck industry, the transportation industry, uh, I can actually track my car, vehicle, right. driver, right through to ensure, you know, maximum usage. So. These kind of things, which are very innovative. See, one is innovation for innovation's sake. One is innovation that impacts business, profit, top line, bottom line. So when these things start impacting that, businesses are very quick to adapt. And, and therefore, startups as well can come in and, and um, you know leverage that to threaten the dominance of So there is no longer, in fact, there are statistics that talk about uh, uh, percentage of Fortune 500 will no longer exist uh, in a decade, if they don't keep up uh, with the technology innovation and the startups that are coming into the market with different innovative ideas to go to market. No, this is super awesome. And I think that is quite insightful what you just mentioned about, you know. Uh, but if I, if I look back, we just came out of a situation, of course, which was like a pandemic situation. And then uh, today, if I go back and see, most companies are definitely trying to, you know, push on with their transformation plans despite the pandemic challenges so uh, with industry 4.0 still being the top of the mind for many is that what you think or do you see a big that's transformation a, yeah yeah that's a great question because what's happened is it's accelerated the adoption of these technologies in a phenomenal okay. manner so think about it when in uh, last year in jan feb when, when covid hit um, people had to stop going to offices uh, businesses still have to work overnight. People have right. to transform themselves from being able to do remote work, work from home. Uh, technologies that were there, it's not like they were invented because of the pandemic, but the adoption went up through the roof. Uh, there were, And that has led to, uh, its, its impact has been not designed, but think of the commercial retail market. Today, companies after going through a year of this kind of a work have realized that Employees like that kind of hybrid work. They want that flexibility. Uh, quality of life goes up. There is ways for me to attract talent. If I'm a US-based company, I can have my talent sitting in uh, Singapore, India, wherever. And he, he can contribute without all the issues of actually physically moving them there. Um, so I actually have access to a larger talent pool to contribute towards my organization. Um, so these things got very, very quickly adopted, accelerated. Um, CIOs have to make quick plans to be able to adapt, respond. A, first objective was to keep the doors open, keep the factory. Large organizations um, like Unilever, like P&G, all the guys who give us day-to-day, -day, everything that you and me use for every day, had to ensure that that supply actually came through. And how, how would you do that through warehouses, through factories, right. and this extended supply chain also, this, this was... I should say it's a good thing, but this also um, pointed out the weaknesses in this long supply chain and how uh, there were gaps in there that normally would have never been highlighted. But these came out, and therefore these techno this technology adoption, the, the, the uh, uh, eagerness of people to be able to do it for necessity, 
it now when you look at this phase of uh, of the pandemic now organizations are looking towards okay i fixed that immediate need the fire i doused the fire but now how do i take this learnings the benefits that i derived and actually keep it make it permanent to drive my profitability to drive my innovation to be able to accelerate and, and succeed much faster by leveraging my lessons and going forward. So what's happening now in the second phase is now they're saying, okay, we did that then to do something that was immediate and urgent. Now what do I do in terms of a long-term strategy for me to then go wholesale into this adoption of these transformation digitalization and then take to the next step towards my competitive posture? All right, this is great. So, so what I believe now is I think there's a tremendous business opportunities uh, and improvements uh, when the processes are, when it has been enabled with digital thread, I would say. Uh, and I think uh, it is getting expanded into customers' operational domains. So, but wh while, while we are trying to improvise and get to there, as you rightly said, uh, what about the skill set and of course the most important question data sensitivity because you did mention there's a lot of data i'm sure which is getting generated in and out so if you want to just throw some light out here yes yeah, so there are two aspects you're absolutely right so the more sensors um, and there are some mind-boggling numbers of trillions of sensors being going to be out there collecting all kinds of data um, that, that comes in now there are two aspects of that one is the compliance um, privacy aspects so uh, like they always said, ever since time immemorial, uh, uh, innovation technology always, and you can take the same thing and do good with it, you can take the same thing and do bad with it, but you cannot blame the technology for it, it is what you do with it. So data um, uh, is a critical aspect of this transformation and data security, uh, cyber security is a big deal now, because if everyone is going to be remote, hybrid, working, sensors, data, uh, you can see uh, recent incidents of hacking. Uh, now there's the cyber warfare arms of forces of every country now they're setting that up because they realize um, a, 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 a dedicated uh, enemy country can actually take down infrastructure your power centers um, all of them all of the stuff to hurt you even without finding a bullet so that Very aspect on cyber security second aspect goes into privacy and uh, uh, you know regulation like the European Union has GDPR India has their own uh, U.S. has their own, each state in the U.S. has their own privacy. So if some hack happens, your and my personal data gets out, there, there is an issue of that. Um, so that's that's the second aspect of data. And the third aspect is data for data sake makes no sense. Analytics is a big deal. And when I say analytics, it's not about the technology. It's about to look at trends that you get from all this data. What can I learn from that trend? What do I need to do as effectively take actions? Like I mentioned uh, factories that are completely automated, the, the AI and uh, machine learning and the robots, the programs are looking at data and trends and making decisions as to what I need to change to be able to fix that gap. So this uh, three aspects of data are very critical as we go forward. Uh, uh, privacy, uh, security, and, uh, and the societal impact of data. So you can use the same data. Um, as you can see, a lot of debates uh, of targeting a certain set of people based on ethnicity or based on religion or based on whatever. So that also then becomes an issue with data and data uh, aspects of uh, large amounts of data sitting out there. 
Yeah, uh, I think you just mentioned three important things, which definitely makes, uh, I think it's been the key aspect of this, of course, as you said, privacy, uh, societal impact, and I think there's enough to talk about. But okay, let's let's talk a little more about uh, what does this mean today for marketing and sales team? Fantastic question. So um, I, as I work through this, and I, we always have training sessions that I've led uh, where we talk about, uh, so you think of the old sales model. Um, and so in the software term, we'll call it the on-premise perpetual selling. And uh, the other thing that's transforming now is what we call the software as a service uh, or infrastructure as a service or a platform as a service. All the PaaS, as, uh, SaaS, all the acronyms, right? Basically, it's talking of the cloud. It, essentially, it's saying that, you know, I will not sell you any physical CV or, or that's even a, uh, that it dates the whole thing, but you will actually use my service online, Right. So how how does how are sales transform? The old days of sales actually going door to door, reaching out across and selling something, and then selling an actual physical device uh, is no longer valid. It's all software as a service, right? Um, or, so so that sales itself is going through a transformation in terms of skills required, the kind of people you need, uh, the size of people you want to need. So you think about when I talked about uh, industry for and digital transformation. Old time automation impacted blue collar jobs. Now what's happening, and that's why it's hitting close to home to a lot of people, it's impacting white collar jobs. For instance, you can have bots doing the routine mundane accounting. It can do it actually better. Anything that's repetitive uh, needs to get done again and again. Humans are going to make mistakes just out of sheer boredom. But a, a bot will be able to do it faster. So a lot of the white collar uh, aspects of the economy are getting impacted by the automation technologies, robotic process automation, process automation, bots getting into the mix, uh, doing all of that, including the medical field, where it's in a good thing in the sense I can have a specialist anywhere in the world be able to do robotic surgeries and be able to help a patient without physically having to be there. So they put it back to it, right? Um, so yes, so sales is transforming in a way that you will not see a plethora of sales, but the transformation in sales that's happening is on the adoption side, for instance. If I come and sell you something and I sign a contract with you for three years, uh, guaranteeing certain benefits, when the three years are over, you will look at it and say, did I actually really get a benefit or should I go flip? And flipping for you is very easy, unlike the old days where you had an asset, right? Now I can just flip and I'm done. So my, keeping my customer with me is a tougher challenge. So now the sales mix is also on customer retention, customer success. How do I ensure adoption of what I sell you to make you successful? And how do I ensure that I capture all of the data so I can go back to Ranjit and say, hey, Ranjit, guess what? In the last first year, you saved so much of money and these are the benefits you got second year and third year. Therefore, when the time comes for renewal, you say, you know what? I actually benefited, so I'm going to stay with you, right? Uh, that skill set now is going to change. So the customer success of post-sales, which you think about, post-sales used to be thought of as not a very glamorous role. Sales and marketing were always the guys, the cool kids with the nice hair and you know, uh, going <laughs> yeah. for the, you know, big bucks, right? But True. now with this whole transformation, the post-market becomes very critical because the customer adoption retention is becoming very critical if you ever want to have a renewal of contracts. If you look at the stock market, when they look at these organizations, they look at how much renewal revenue are you keeping up with? And that's how you also start seeing markets change, valuations change, investments change. So that's on marketing. Now sales, marketing, you have a digital marketing aspect of it. So there are some studies that say that if I ever want to go buy a product or service, even before I make the first call, 
I have done my 65% of the research or more in some cases. On my own, I go out, I search the web, I look at reviews, I look at a bunch of things, I make up my mind, I shortlist my things, and then I may or may not even have a physical um, a call. I may just do it with a chatbot. I might get a lot of the data, come down with two, then I'll negotiate with them. So for sales, the mind share, so digital marketing is a very critical uh, aspect of what I call um, brand loyalty, brand awareness. If I don't even know a product or service exists, I'll never even get to it. But once I know it, I have to ensure that I give them the salient features. And if I have to go through a bunch of data to figure out what your value proposition to me is, I'm never going to do it. But I'm going to move on. So, so, so the attention spans have gone down, right? People uh, are making uh, banking. Think of banking. I mean, uh, today I don't even go to a retail bank. Retail banks will be exactly. In fact, I think yeah. I just heard Citibank announce something about that uh, very recently uh, in the public domain. Absolutely. So the right. nature... You know, so from apps and phones, and I, I'm doing my decisions very quickly, and I'm moving on. So I think sales and marketing uh, definitely are going to get transformed. And that's where I again go back to the impact on society, because there was a lot of people that were employed on those jobs, making good living. How do you adapt to skill sets, which are not the same, but they are still relevant and required to, to new changing uh, environment? No, I completely agree with what you just said. And I think uh, there's a lot for sales and marketing because I, being a marketeer, I have seen the complete shift uh, towards digitization. And uh, I think the touch points have completely changed, as you rightly said, uh, because it's SaaS-based and enabled. You yourself call as a SaaS technology company. So is your sales and marketing also been getting implied to it? Okay, the the way you market yourself, the the way you want to do your outreach, whether it is your account-based marketing, any type of marketing has got a complete shift over. And I think it looks good. People are getting used to with it. Uh, well, these are interesting times, I would say, and interesting transformation, uh, which are coming through way, uh, which leads to my next question then is, what transformation, you know, uh, does an enterprise involved in the industry 4.0 have to build to achieve a strategic goal? Fantastic question. So initial days, what happened was with industry for digitalization, digital transformation, a lot of buzzwords, right? So a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies thought, oh, okay, all I need to do is digitize everything that I do manually or through paper. And that's digitalization or digital transformation. Guess what? They went down a path, they realized that's not it. Uh, it's, it's got three elements to it, people, process, and technology. So I can I can buy a bunch of latest technology, gadgets, uh, sensors, all of that. But if I don't know how to use it, because A, I don't have the skills in my workforce to be able to leverage. B, I don't have the processes. So you need to be able to look at it as a three-leg stool. You need to understand what your business is, what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, and then figure out what part of the digital transformation process you would like to go with in a phased manner, not a big leap, uh, you know, suddenly trying to change everything uh, on a dime, which, which which never succeeds. I know of companies who went down, and I'm not going to take the name of the software, but large uh, implementations where they have been belly up, they actually went bankrupt, trying to implement just one large uh, enterprise software uh, and trying to force the way into a culture. So culture, like I think the famous words, Philip Kotler, culture, you know, um, will eat strategy for breakfast every day. So you have to transform your organization, the way it works, your processes, the as is, the to be vision, uh, take steps in a very organized, methodical fashion, and then transform uh, uh, your your organization and your supply chain, which is also a very critical part of it. Uh, 
because uh, if you don't do that, all the benefits that you think you will get will be only partial because if a supply chain is still in the old age and they are not delivering the right way, um, and I can name numerous examples of just-in-time buzzwords that Japanese came up with, which have been uh, you know, adopted in the manufacturing. Um, there are a lot of organizations in India as well as the world that have actually tweaked the just-in-time, uh, the way it was defined to fit their uh, environment, right? Digital transformation, by the way, industry for point automation has different flavors. So when it came out, everybody thought, oh, everything's going to be robotic. Everything. Well, it doesn't work in countries with huge population like Brazil or Mexico or India or China. You cannot make everyone unemployed. It's not going to go well. So you have to come up with a hybrid model of your own version of Industry 4.0, where you start eliminating what I call the non-value-add mundane tasks uh, to maybe the technology and yet upskill the workforce to be able to still uh, leverage the lot of talent that exists and keep them productively employed and reap the benefits of the best of both. So that process on digital transformation, um, and I've seen a lot of false starts with large organizations to come back and retool, take that step back, uh, reevaluate that. Um, and, and wonderful things have happened with that in terms of uh, you know the whole concept of um, if I'm an American company, everything has to be in the US, or if I'm an Indian company, it has to be in India. No, I can now leverage the best uh, I could have product development maybe in India and manufacturing in, in Eastern Europe or China or South America, or I could have it other way, depending on which industry I'm in. So if I'm in the high-tech semiconductor, maybe I should have uh, manufacturing in Taiwan, right? But I could have uh, Bangalore as the hub of doing innovation for me in that sector. If I'm in the fashion market, maybe ideation happens in Milan, Paris. Now, not to say that it was not happening before. So if you look at the, uh, that space, that supply chain extended into Asia Pacific. But now with this whole 3D printing and all, that also now comes closer to home. So that's the whole re- offshoring, onshoring, high skill, low skill debate going on, both in the political world, but, but also in, in the industry itself as to how do we take advantage of those things. Well, Anirudh, I think uh, this was this was really great, you know, and I think uh, there was a lot that we covered, actually. I, I, I was just going through and recollecting the thoughts and looking at my notes. This was super insightful. And then the way you structure it was definitely fantastic. Thank you so much for this, uh, you know, and uh, if, if I just want to put my last thoughts to it, I think I think there's definitely a change of mindset. Uh, which is looking imperative right now. Uh, and as we pivot uh, to an era of more, you know, targeted digital transformation where uh, uh, where I would say we need to be a meaningfully applying the digital technologies towards business goal. Uh, and I, I think that is where or that is why Industry 4.0 has emerged definitely as an important concept, uh, signifying a confluence of, you know, the digital technologies with real world outcomes. So, I definitely enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for you know giving those insight uh, to us and I'm sure the listeners back over here would be enjoying the same. Well, uh, the next thing definitely I would love to ask you is any parting thoughts that you would like to share uh, with our audience. I, I think it's an exciting time. I think for people entering the workforce, uh, the people who are actually still uh, uh, in, in the throes of it, it's, I think, one of the most, I think, uh, the best system out there. I think there's a lot of innovation that's going to happen. It's going to transform the way we live, work. Uh, green energy is something, and we didn't even talk about energy industry, but the whole thing is going to change the way we live, work, and for the, for the better, for sure. 
um, and get the world much closer than it already is uh, in, a, in a good way to be able to leverage the, the best of uh, the human race for the development and betterment. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I usually love to ask this. This is my favorite question, which I love to ask. Is there any uh, new habit that you have picked up or do you, do you recommend any book or any read that to our audiences? I think a new habit in the pandemic has been that you realized, uh, so first of all, exercise. So uh, you would not get time uh, because you used to travel so much and you used to be out on the road eating habits, you realize how much of junk you eat. Uh, uh, so those, those are some, uh, you know, and then reading has gone up and listening to music has gone up because in the cacophony okay. of travel and, and busyness, you lost a lot of good family. I mean, being able to be more productive and statistics have shown that people are more productive in the hybrid work environment, getting more done, but yet having not to sacrifice personal life. So for me, that's a big, 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 uh, uh, big, big plus for me. And by the way, just a little tidbit, I've been doing remote work uh, since um, hybrid work since uh, late 90s, by the way, when it was not oh, even wow. in Vogue. And I've led virtual teams globally. Uh, wow. uh, but yet I used to travel because travel was something and I still love to meet people. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you know, tra- travel was always there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. So now I think uh, I think the world is coming to see the benefits of, uh, of that aspect of uh, working. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah, there there were instances when human touch was making a difference, but I think we're getting used to with it uh, being completely virtual and just seeing us each other the way we are seeing right now. <laughs> so, Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic. So thank you so much. This is super insightful for every one of us out here. Well, thank you again. And uh, very important, the last thing, I would request if you want to give a high five to any of your friends out there or any of your colleagues. Yeah, please, please feel free to do the same. Thanks, Ajit. I want to give a high five to Suman Bose, uh, who's in Delhi. I would like to give a high five to John Squire, who is up in the US. Uh, and I uh, uh, really appreciate uh, our collaboration in the past. Look forward to it in the future. Fantastic. Hey guys, I hope you're listening to this and we're going to connect with you on this. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Anirudh. And I think this was super exciting to, you know, get those insights about Industry 4.0. And uh, I, I definitely enjoyed this conversation because when I when I look towards the way that the whole manufacturing or as you mentioned, the pharma or the, uh, the different various industries have been changing, uh, to, uh, as you said, or the right word, we call it as industry 4.0. This whole digitization, you know, has been creating a great value chain transformation to traditional businesses. Uh, and it, it is super fantastic. I'm super excited with what what's new coming in. But well, uh, just to conclude to our discussion, I think I definitely see there's a big change of mindset, which is definitely imperative uh, as we pivot into an era of more targeted uh, digital transformation, uh, where we definitely need to meaningfully apply this digital technologies towards our business goals. And I think this is why Industry 4.0 has emerged as an important concept, uh, signifying uh, you know a confluence of digital technologies with real-world outcomes. I would say one more time, thank you so much for being with us. It was definitely great talking to you about Industry 4.0.
Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. And uh, you're right. It's a big topic. It's an ocean out there. So it was wonderful covering uh, the highlights with you. Look forward. Absolutely. No worries. And everybody who's listening out there, uh, thank you so much for being patient. Uh, I know we are going through tough times and we would be in good times. So stay calm. Keep your loved ones very closed. Take care of your dear ones. Thank you so much. Signing it off. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.